this morning. And the title of my message and the theme in Obadiah is Unbrotherly Love. As is it stated, the book of Obadiah is only 21 verses, and so I'm going to do something I haven't done yet before. I get to teach a whole book on one sermon. And so Obadiah is the minorist of the minor prophets, but his message is no less important, no less applicable for us this morning. Now, for many of us, this book has remained obscure. We may have heard the name, but we've never looked at the words and the verses that come from this book. And a large part of that is due to the fact it's never quoted in the New Testament. This book, however, does merit careful study for us due to its powerful message about the justice of God. And it speaks to the real danger of the sin of pride and arrogance. Obadiah graphically illustrates the nation through the nation of Edom, the truth of Proverbs 16, 18, which says pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Obadiah is the prophet who was sent to the nation of Edom to pronounce God's judgment for the treatment of Israel. And Obadiah means servant of Yahweh or worshiper of Yahweh. Through Obadiah, his name was common throughout Israel, but it's no uh, coincidence that he was the one sent to Edom because Edom had set themselves up above God and instead of God. And Obadiah, his name as it's pronounced and, and proclaimed as he's coming, says worshiper of Yahweh, someone who's bowed down to Yahweh. And so the date of this writing is difficult to determine. I know in the video we saw um, that they say it's after Babylon invades and, and conquers all of Israel, but I'm going to put before you four other possibilities. There's four significant invasions of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. The first one is by Shishak, who was king of Egypt around 925 B.C. He was during the reign of Rehoboam. You can read about it in 1 Kings 14.25 to 26. And then uh, also in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. The second uh, invasion of Jerusalem happened by the Philistines and the the Arabians between 848 and 841 B.C. during the reign of Jehoram of Judah. And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 8 to 20. The third one is when Jehoash was king of Israel, about 790 B.C. 2 Kings chapter 14, 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And then there was the, the one that we saw in the video, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Out of these four, the only two that fit what you find in Obadiah is two and four. So it's either the Philistines and the Arabians, or it's Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonians. And here's the reason for that. Um, and I think number two is the most preferable. Obadiah doesn't detail the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and I think that would be a major thing to talk about. Um, Babylon is not specifically mentioned, as other prophets do when they're speaking after the fall of to Babylon. But also that Obadiah gives a warning to Edom in these verses to not repeat their sins of the past. And if Jerusalem has already fallen, that would be like a useless admonition. And lastly, there's no um, reference to the de- deportation of the people. That is what happened when Babylon came in and, and took them. And so it, 
if this is correct, it makes Obadiah actually the earliest of the writing prophets. Now, we know Joel wasn't the uh, writing prophet. He, he was a uh, speaking prophet, and someone else wrote it. But Obadiah is the earliest of the writing prophets, and he's a contemporary to Elisha. So Judgment Against Edom is mentioned more in all of the Old Testament than any other foreign nation. And I think this is due to their historical background. We touched on it there. The animosity between the Edomites and the Israelites is one of the oldest examples of sibling rivalry that we have in all of human history. Edom is the nation from Esau, and Israel is the nation from Jacob. They were twins in their mother's womb. In Genesis 25, 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, and so he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. So Jacob and Esau are born, and if you're familiar with the story about them in Genesis, the, the recount of their growing up lives in Genesis, what you find is that as they get older, Esau becomes more of a... Uh, a hunter, a, a, a manly man, if you would, and Jacob is more of the, the nurturer, the caring guy. He, he relates more to his mom, whereas Esau relates more to his dad. And you see the parents kind of have this favoritism with them, and obviously it plays out through the kids. And so Esau's out hunting, and he comes back, and he didn't get anything, so he's so hungry. And he says, hey, Jacob, because Jacob's a great cook, he says, let me have some of that red red stuff, the red stew that he's making. And in Genesis 25, 30, he said, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. And then we're told in Genesis that that's why he was also named Edom, because of the red stuff. And Jacob says, sure, tell me your birthright. Esau says, well, what good is it to me if I die of starvation? So he tells it he gives it away to him and he has stew. Have you ever made a silly decision on an empty stomach? And then you're like, later regretting a little. Like, you know, when you go to the restaurant and you're like, oh my gosh, it's $15. I don't care, I'm hungry. And then you eat it and you're like, that was not worth $15. <laughs> well, Esau had that. So he was already upset there. Then what ends up happening is Esau, his dad calls him and says, hey, I want to bless you. My time is getting short and I want to bless you. Go out, hunt some game meat, come back and, and give it to me, and then when I'm full and I'm satisfied with it, I'll give you my blessing. And as he went out and left, Rebecca heard, and she goes, Jacob, your dad's about to give Esau the blessing. Here's what you're going to do. She says, go put on a furry coat, rub some dirt all over you so you smell like earth, and go to your dad, and here's some some meat that I made for him. I made him his favorite meal. Because Isaac couldn't see very well, so they were going to see him. And so he does that, and Isaac ends up going, okay, I guess 
substance to you, Esau. I feel the hair and you smell weird. So, sure. And so he blesses him. And as soon as he finishes pronouncing the blessing, Esau comes back and says, Here I am, Brad, I got your food. He's like, Wait a minute. Well, who did I just bless? And so in Genesis 27 41, what it says is Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, so the days of mourning for my father are approaching, meaning my dad's going to die soon. When he dies, then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Does that example of sibling rivalry plays out now in the nations? Edom became a trouble to Israel throughout the history of the nations. When Israel was taken out of the land of Egypt and they were on their exodus journey to the promised land, they came and they could have gone straight to the promised land with no problems. They came up to the nation of Edom and they said, let us pass through your land. We won't touch anything. We won't take any of the food. We won't do anything. Edom refused to let Israel pass through their land on their way to the promised land. They made them go around the long, treacherous, arduous way. Later on in, in the nation of Israel's history, Edom opposed King Saul. Later on, they fought with David and Solomon, and during the reigns of David and Solomon, Edom was subjected to Israel. They were conquered, and so they started to rebel, and they fought against King Jehoshaphat, and then they finally rebelled against uh, King Jehoram, and they successfully became unsubjugated, their own nation again. That's where they moved into that area of the Dead Sea. That's where they made the city of Petra. So Petra, if you um, wanted to know its history, it's from the nation of Edom. They're the ones that carved it and built it. And then you have God speaking to Israel in Deuteronomy 23.7. When Edom said, no, you can't go through our land, this is what the Lord said to them. Do not despise an Edomite, because he is your brother. Do not despise an Egyptian because you are a resident alien in his life. Do you see the heart of the Lord there? We need to make sure that we are not reacting to how people treat us, but that we are reacting and treating people the way the Lord wants us to. It doesn't matter how they treat us. I'm going to break a secret to you guys. You might already be aware of this, but in case you're not, people are not going to treat you well. But we're still going to treat them with the love of God. Of all human conflicts, the most painful and the most difficult to resolve are between brothers. It's personal to me because my brother doesn't talk to me. But throughout history, you see it play out over and over again. You see nations. There's not a nation that has not gone through a civil war. Civil wars are, are basically family feuds on the national level in which brother is killing brother. The disputes are long 
see in the book of Obadiah. The first one is verse 10. It says, you will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of the violence done to your brother, Jacob. The Lord is speaking out to Cain specifically detailing that their sins are against their very own brother. And the second key verse that I see is the verse that divides the book. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. And as you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. You see, we don't have to seek vengeance for ourselves. We don't have to seek to make ourselves right because the Lord promises that there's coming a day where he will make all things right. This is why we are told time and time again throughout the Bible, do not take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay you. You know why? Because he can do it righteously. None of us are capable of obtaining vengeance righteously because it requires to be the right amount of angry with the right amount of punishment against the right amount. And, and we can't do that because we're always like, well, I'm going to make sure that they don't do it again. And so that means I have to go above and beyond what they did. The message to Edom specifically against them for how they treated their brother. And so what they've done will be done to them. And so we come verses. Let's turn to the word of the Lord. Starting verse 1, it says, The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Lord God said about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let's go to war against her. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your home on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. If thieves come to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If great harvesters came to you, wouldn't they leave a few grapes? How Esau will be pillaged, his hidden treasures searched out. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive and conquer you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, and you will be unaware of it. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand from the hill country of Esau? Taman, your warriors will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. You will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of the violence you've done to your brother Jacob. On the day you stood aloof, on the day strangers captured his wealth, while foreigners entered his city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. Do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boast. Do not boastfully mock in the day of distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster, and do not appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives, and do not hand over their survivors in the day of distress. 
For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and bolt down and be as though they have never been. But there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire, and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survivor will remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites were in Halah and who are among the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. In this message against Edom, what I see the Lord speaking out against most and what I believe the Lord wants us to see this morning is that when we have issues, either with people or even in our family, what it ends up coming down to is it comes out of a sense of pride. Pride is the ultimate sin being spoken against here. And what we see from the Lord first is that Edom is deceived by pride. Most people who fall into the sin of pride will become deceived by it. And verses 1 says, The vision of Obadiah, this is what the Lord God said about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let's go to war against her. He says, Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. And he says, Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your home on the heights. You say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? And though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I'll bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. He tells them, if thieves come to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If grape harvesters came to you, wouldn't they leave a few grapes? How Esau will be pillaged, his hidden treasures searched out. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive you and conquer you, and those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, yet you will be unaware of it. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand it in the hill country of Esau? Taman, your warriors will be terrified, so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. What we see here is the Lord pronouncing judgment against Edom for their pride, and he tells them everything that you take pride in will be your downfall. We see that Obadiah received this message that came directly from the Lord concerning Edom. And we see that Obadiah, he says, the message that I received from the Lord God, and he uses two names for the Lord God. In your Bible, the first word, Lord, that's Adonai. Lord and Master, Sovereign One. And God, all caps, Yahweh. And what he's saying is he's connecting the sovereignty of the Lord over all of the named nations by connecting to his covenant name with Israel. He may be the God of Israel. 
Israel in a covenant relationship, but in a sovereignty, he's over all nations. And he says, we've heard a message from the Lord. He says, an envoy. Now, an envoy is a diplomat or a messenger that has been sent out. And the messenger, when he was sent out to do it, to gather all the nations to war against Edom. The envoy proclaims, rise up, let's go to war against him. The Lord sent a message and a report concerning Edom to the nations, calling for them to act and to unite together. The Lord said to Edom, he says, I'm going to make you insignificant among the nations you will be deeply despised. I want you to contrast that with everywhere else the Lord talks to the humble. God says to the humble, I will lift you up. But anybody who stands before the Lord in pride, he says, I will bring you down. And so then Edom, he says, I will make you insignificant among the nations, and you will be deeply despised. You will be nothing among anybody. Anybody who looks at you, they're not going to consider you for anything. And anybody that suffers from pride, that's like the worst thing in the world. He said that they're arrogant, they're presumptuous, their prideful heart has deceived them. Their heart said that they were better than they were. Their prideful heart says, look at us, we're Edom, we're great, we're, we're superior. Look at those lowly other people down there. They thought that they were more secure. They were, they were prideful in their location. They said, we who have taken refuge in these rocks. We're impenetrable. And their hearts said this. Who could bring us down? Proverbs 6.16 tells us six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. An arrogant, arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Adam was guilty of all of that. So God then answers their prideful rhetorical question. He says, you think you soar like an eagle and are safe with your nest, your home, and the stars, with how high up you are and how secure in the mountains you are. It's just but your arrogant heart deceives you because even from there, I, the Lord, will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. It's very similar to what we find in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 14, this is a uh, prophecy that was spoken to the king, king uh, uh, Babylon. And um, it also relates to an angel that wanted to set himself up. In Isaiah 14, it says, Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations, you've been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol, into the deepest regions of the pit. Anyone who desires to set themselves up above God must be brought down, will be brought down. He 
You see, God is bringing judgment against Edom because of their pride. They're filled with it. And they deceive themselves, and they have emboldened themselves to act and behave as though they're secure. It's precisely Edom's pride that became their undoing as they thought no one could conquer them. And a prideful heart forgets, or worse, ignores the Lord God. So Obadiah now fills in the details concerning Edom's fall. It says Edom would be utterly ravaged. And here's how it's described. If they were taken over by thieves and marauders, there would be something left because they would only take what they wanted. If the grape harvesters came and took all the grapes, there would be grapes left behind because they don't harvest everything. But God says, you will be utterly pillaged. You will have your treasure searched out. Everything will be taken from you. This would not be accounted to anything else but the judgment of God. Nobody could say, oh, look, they were overtaken by this. And the destruction and the overtake would be so complete, they would say, this is the judgment of God. And then God says, the other area that they're prideful in, their alliances with all the other nations. The Lord declares it's in those alliances that they have such pride in that they're like, oh, we're safe. Look at all our friends that we have. Look at all the NATO nations and look at all the other nations that we're in alliance with and look at how safe we are. And the Lord God says that those alliances will provide no protection, no security because the, their source of pride is going to be their undoing. These nations would push them out of their land. That's what it means, push you to the borders. Those at peace would deceive and conquer them. He even says, those who eat your bread, that means eat at your table. Those who you share a meal with, the most intimate time, the most close friendship, would set a trap. And he says, they would not even see it. What calamity. It's not even from a known enemy. It's an ambush from a trusted friend or ally. The Lord declares, in that day, he will eliminate their wise ones. He will eliminate those who speak um, wisdom in their land, those who would um, speak with understanding, and also as he would eliminate those who would lead them. He would eliminate and terrify the warriors. So everything that they think that they can find protection, oh, that's okay, so-and-so will come up with a plan. No, he's gone. That's okay, we have our warriors. They'll say, but no, they all ran away. There would be no rescue from wise men, from leaders, and not even from their warriors. Even arrogance would be brought down by their complete humiliation. Security, wealth, wisdom, leadership, and soldier would fall at the hand of God. You see, Pride only gives false hope that one can stand in their own strength against God. But everyone who stands opposed to God in pride will be brought down low. This is what Isaiah also prophesies early on in his book. Isaiah chapter 2. The pride of mankind will be brought low. Human loftiness will be humbled. And look at how this verse ends. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. 
will find you out. The sin that will find you out is specifically the sin of doing nothing. You think that you're going to be safe and, oh, if I do nothing, I just won't get it. Like, nobody will know that I helped or didn't help. Nothing will happen. Well, at the end of time, God's going to reveal it that you did nothing. Well, then worse than that, Edom goes from doing nothing to actually doing something. They gloated. They gloated at the misfortune of Israel. They hated Israel so much that when they saw a calamity come on them, they said, ha ah, they deserve that. And they boastfully mocked. Solomon, in all his wisdom, in Solomon, uh, Solomon 24, Proverbs 24, he says, don't gloat when your enemy falls. Don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see and be displeased and turn his wrath away from him. of Edom's gloating and everything, I want you to understand God did not spare Israel. Still took them through the judgment. Still took them through that. But he did turn and put judgment on Edom as well. Edom's sin started with indifference. Started with doing nothing. And then it progressed to gloating over Judah's distress. Then Edom progressed in their pride and they partook in the misfortune of Judah. They took advantage of the situation. They joined in attacking the vulnerable. They exploited and they took advantage by cutting off those who were fleeing and handing over the survivors to the invaders. When calamity fell, fell, Edom took advantage of it. They moved in on a fallen people, a captured people. They took advantage that they were fugitives. They used their trouble and their misery to their own advantage. They delivered the survivors to Israel's distress. They took unfair advantage, and God hates it when we utilize another's weakness or bad luck to our advantage. And I'm going to step on toes here now. Probably mine. Have you ever had a time where someone maybe came in and maybe did a contractor's bid on a job for you? They made a mistake and they underbid it. And they came and said, I didn't realize the cost of this had gone up. And they come back, you know, I already signed the contract two times. That's taking advantage of someone's misfortune. Or the sayings that we had growing up as a kid. Well, tough luck. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Thank you. 
also notice that it's against all the nations. The day of the Lord can refer to any time that God intervenes in judgment entering into the world's affairs. But most frequently, what the day of the Lord refers to is either A, God's judgments in the great tribulation and at the return of Jesus Christ in glory, or B, God's establishment of the millennium kingdom during the same time In other words, the Lord's day is when he will bring all things under his rule. He will put an end to all of the all of the uh, Gentile nations and all of their pride and all of the kingdom building that they're doing, and he's going to destroy all of mankind's kingdoms, and he's going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom, which will endure and last forever. The day of the Lord is a time of retribution and restoration. Edom's humiliation is an example and a foreshadow of what God will do to all nations who similarly mistreat Israel. God made a promise to Abraham, as I said before, in Genesis, and the promise remains in effect, and it's been enforced by God. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's through Israel that the nations are blessed. We can't get around that. The day of the Lord is the judgment of God against all nations. As you have done, so will be done to you. And what you deserve will be returned on your own head. Sounds a lot like some of the other prophets. Ezekiel 35 11 says, Therefore, if I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will treat you according to the anger and jealousy you showed in your hatred of them. I will make myself known among them when I judge you. You say, Well, that's Old Testament. Well, what did Jesus say? Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. Mark 4.24 says it this way, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. Six, seven, says God is Don't be deceived. In your pride, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. You cannot sow destruction, hatred, violence, pride, and expect to reap the blessings of God. All you will reap is the judgment. Now, there will be judgment, but there's also the promise of holy deliverance on Mount Zion. Notice that while God is pronouncing judgment on Edom, Israel's hardship, though it's not alleviated, they are suffering, yet God promises a future restoration for Israel as a nation. Mount Zion, the scene of Israel's destruction. Because Mount Zion represents Jerusalem. It becomes a place of deliverance. What once was desecrated will once again be holy. It says, I will restore it, and it will be holy. Edom will be utterly to be destroyed. I want you to know, one of the last Edomites that we know about in history was King Herod. The great King Herod, the one who put out the edict to murder all of the children, two and under. Today, there is no Edom. There are no Edomites. You will not find an Edomite. Lord is good and gracious, and he's even promised.
promise that when he restores Israel, through Israel even, Edom will be revived. Not the same people, but that they will be there. and we look at verses 19 and 21, we see that the expansion of the land happens under the rule of the Lord. As the Lord comes in to rule and reign, the, the expansion happens. Jesus will reign. And so what we have here is short. Um, though short, he presents us a powerful message. It's a caution for those who would be filled with pride and rebel against God and his people. My brothers and sisters, I have to warn you, we must be cautious about pride in our heart because, number one, it is deceptive. Number two, because it is progressive. And number three, because it is judged. The cure for pride is humility. And we have two choices. Humble ourselves before the Lord, or the Lord will humble us. God hates pride. He will judge it. But God will also judge all sin, and He will judge the sin in all nations. No one is getting away with anything. Israel was judged for their sin. All the nations around Israel were judged for their sin. In the day of the Lord, all nations all the time throughout history will answer for the sins that they have committed. Nothing will go unpunished. Take hope in that, though. It means this. God is not absent. God is not indifferent. God is not unconcerned. God sees and God cares. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Israel in disobedience to God and under judgment of God, and God still punishes the nations around him and his people. It's like when I'm punishing my kids, I don't want anybody else to come around and help me. I'm going to defend my kids. Because they're still my kids. And that's the way it is with the Lord. But know this, God is not mocked. This message is proof that God is not mocked, but it's also proof that God wants to warn. If he would heed that warning. And he would become so inundated with warning labels on everything that we're maybe immune to hearing warnings. Because everywhere you go, there's a warning. But one thing that man can never say when he stands before God, he didn't works. But ultimately, there is hope. Hope is in the one who in the end will rule. That's Jesus Christ. He's going to return, and he does it. And when he does it, it'll be the rule and reign. And verse 18 is the encouragement for us all. Verse 18, if you want to circle down in your Bible, for the Lord has spoken. That means it will happen. Soon after Edom, Edom soon after this, began to see exactly what God warned of, and by 6 BC, Edom was gone. God has said he will return. His word is true. God will deal with sin as he did with Edom in the end as well. But, and God judges all sin. But know this, all have sin. And all will be condemned. My favorite con- conjunction in the Bible. But God. But God offers grace. 
to the minor prophets, have we not seen that he's always offered grace? It's not a New Testament thing. It's a God thing. He provided the one who paid for sin in the New Testament. And here's what he said. If we believe in his name for salvation, we will be saved. You see, the one who responds in obedience to the grace of God has everything to gain. But a person who spurns his grace in pride will lose everything. According to the Bible knowledge commentary, I like the way they put that. The one who paid for our sin will one day return to crush sin once and for all. For the Lord has spoken. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and thank you for your words of encouragement. And, and through the prophet Obadiah, Lord, I, I, I love the fact that sometimes, even in our own lives, we can feel like we're obscure, that we're insignificant and whatnot. But Lord, when we go forth with your message and are used for your purposes, you remember us. And as we see Obadiah here in the Bible, Lord, because you chose to have him remembered and his message remembered, we also remember that your desire is that we would know that there is a warning because there is a judgment, but also because you have offered grace, mercy, and salvation through the name of Jesus Christ.